everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Juliette Fay, a poet and three principles facilitator. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Juliet and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Carla. So Juliet and I were just talking about how sometimes we... Um, you know, this idea of the upper limit of how good can it get? How good can something get? And how there's a way in which um, the, the, the term I use was something like borrowing trouble. It's like when things are going well, sometimes it can make us get nervous. We can get nervous about that. Um, I know <clears throat> I, I experience this uh, often with my clients who are always... Uh, when things are going really well, they tell me, okay, I'm just, things are going really well, but I'm so afraid of the other shoe dropping, you know, that little term, the other shoe dropping. Don't know where that came from, Juliet. It might be interesting to, to, to find out, to research that. But um, yes, things are going well, but I can't really fully enjoy it because the other shoe is going to drop. One of the things that I tell my clients is um, I have something that can be helpful to you regarding that. And they're like, what, what? I'm like, the other shoe will drop. <laughs> and so don't worry about, in other words, it's like, yes, it's going to drop. And so you don't have to defend against it because it's going to happen in some form or some way, because that's just the ebb and flow of life. Right. And I can't tell you how many of my clients have told me that, that, that that's helpful to them that it's helpful to them. And we know that this primitive part of our brains are constantly scanning for danger in an attempt to keep us safe. And um, I think that that's one of the reasons that we start to get concerned or uncomfortable when things are going so very well. I told Juliet when we, before we hit record this morning that business is going extraordinarily well this year for me. And it's only March and I haven't been working very hard because, you know, I experienced a loss back over the winter and I sort of kind of took a couple of months where I just was barely working except for taking good care of my my clients, uh, which is easy and rewarding and fulfilling to me. So that was great. But also a lot of business was coming to me and I wasn't working hard for it. I wasn't working for it at all. It just came. And I was like, is this okay? I mean, uh, is it okay that I'm not working very hard right now and that business is coming to me? And it's just a weird thing that we do, Juliet. Yeah, I think this is a great topic um, because you're right. We can, we can sort of, um, begin to feel uncomfortable with things going well. And I wonder if there isn't a bit there that's just because we're not used to it, if, if it's in a particular period, um, area of our life, or maybe it's our life generally, we may just get used to a level of um, firefighting, you might call it, you know, trying having constantly to deal with problems, crises, 
And if they start to disappear or get less, you're right, they can almost come in, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and in in your example, I love that, of if we have an idea that uh, success only comes from working really, really hard, and then as I, I love that example and you've sort of woken up to the fact, well, actually more and more success is coming and I'm not working really, really hard. One reaction can be, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me of someone uh, years ago used to say, uh, occasionally I would, I would sort of be, oh, aren't things great? Isn't it going well? And it was almost like, shh, you might jinx it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't draw attention to the fact that things are going well. (laughs) That reminds me, Juliet, if I can interrupt you for a minute, about uh, something that Brene Brown talks about. I I really enjoy uh, following Brene Brown and her writings and podcasts. And she talks about how she used to, uh, let's say, get invited for this really special thing, you know, to, to speak or whatever. And it was a big, big deal. And she would hide it from her friends because for one reason she was afraid it might fall through or that it might not go well or that it might not be all that and so she she tamped down her excitement and her joy just for what you just said for fear that you know that it wouldn't be so good or wouldn't turn out so well and she said she woke up to that at one point and realized that even if even if she was right, even if it didn't turn out the way she'd hoped, even if it was a failure, even if something went wrong, that she was robbing herself of a ton of joy in the moment, a ton of 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 just, you know, of celebrating, of joy, of, of pleasure in the moment by not doing it, by not sharing it, by not fully feeling it, by, by you know, the fear of jinxing it, as you said it. And, and I, I thought that was very powerful that, um, yes, things could go wrong, but why not take the enjoyment in the moment when it's available to you? Yeah, that uh, that's that's a bit like you you book a holiday perhaps you know prior to the pandemic, um, <laughs> and then you decide I can't look forward to this holiday in case it gets cancelled or I can't go, and we, and we wouldn't generally do that, would we? Uh, we would really look forward to it, and yes, we'd be really disappointed if something happened and we couldn't go. But what she's talking about what she was doing was saying, well, I better not be excited about this holiday in case it doesn't happen. And also, I think there's an element in there, too, of making, if I look a fool, if I look a fool Mm -hmm. to be excited about something that then doesn't work out. Yes, yes, I think that's huge. And so we kind of, as she said, or you said, tamp it down, or just, um, especially with peers and, and colleagues or in business, there can be, you can see one extreme or the other, can't you? You can see people really shouting about what they're planning. Uh, and you can see people who who keep it very quiet. And there's just something uh, freer about just just enjoying the, the you, you mentioned it on our celebration episode, you know, enjoying the successes as they come along, even if it's a success that's you're invited to something, then that example was lovely. Uh, and it doesn't matter what happens about that invitation or what does or doesn't come from it. Yeah, that's so it's it's subtle, isn't it? It's a small point, but it but it opens up um, 
how many other places are we denying ourselves appreciation and, and enjoyment of of the good stuff? <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes me think, too, about our last episode, Juliet, about, uh, I think, our, I can't remember which one it was, honestly, about success, you know, what is success? And and we have this such a narrow view of success and, and, and truly the things that it's almost like if something doesn't go the way we wanted it to go, then it's a, an utter failure. You know, I think about um, this breakup I've just been through and how, um, you know, I could have moments in there going, Oh, what a failure. But the truth is we had a wonderful, um, you know, a wonderful uh, journey together for a while it's not a failure. We just parted ways, but there's a way in which you could say, oh gosh, I got so excited about that relationship and it was a failure. No, no, it was a success. It just ended in, it differently than we had thought it might. And I think that it's so important to, to open up our ideas about what success is. And, and I think part of success is enjoying <laughs> these moments and even if there is some way in which things don't go the way we had hoped if that makes sense it absolutely does reminds me of that saying it's the journey not the destination oh yeah yeah and so you're right when we when we have um these narrow definitions uh we miss we just miss so much and i love to hear the way you're talking about about that you can, I can feel there's a, already a deep appreciation for all that was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the case of relationships, relationships end all the time through all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's only that we have certain opinions and judgments. And well, more, more than that, what you're saying, we have an idea of what we think it should be mm-hmm. or should look like or how it should go. And it's lovely to hear, it's also something lovely in you, in the way it's evolving for you, because I know you grieved. And now this appreciation is just sort of coming through loud and strong. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, allowing yourself to, to fully feel all of it, you know, the grief and the joy the disappointment and uh, all that was good and all that, that, that um, the ways that I grew and transformed, you know, it is, it's a beautiful thing. If we can allow, like you said, to open up our narrow, narrow definitions of how life is supposed to be. It's so uh, um, limiting. Yeah. It's getting clearer and clearer to me that I have no idea. (laughs) You know, whatever I think is a good idea or a good thing or that should happen or this should happen. Actually, if I look back all through my life, all kinds of things have just cropped up completely unexpectedly. Little things, big things, chance meetings, conversations, seeing something on the Internet. You know, you could go on and on, which have either sent me in a direction just in that given day or have completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. And how could I possibly know ahead of time all of that, uh, all those treasures that are around us all the time, I think? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Juliet, <laughs> everybody's going to laugh at me here, but I have totally forgotten what our topic is. That we're... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
how good how good can it get (laughs) what is our topic what is our topic (laughs) what is our topic juliet how good can we can it get thank you yes because I was like how did I get from there to there and the success and the relay how did that happen yes how good can it get how good can it get when we can um take away some of the labels how good can it get when we can um uh calm our overly dramatic primitive part of our brain that wants to constantly be scanning for danger. Uh, I have a client who struggles a lot with um, a a, a high level of anxiety, some agoraphobia, things like that. And um, part of what, you know, we do together is to try to help her see the good, the true and the beautiful that's in her life every day. But because of some of the trauma she's gone through, it feels to her unsafe to dwell on the good, the true, and the beautiful because it could mean missing some danger. But then she lives in this amped up place of, of the, you know, everything is dangerous all of the time. And I don't want to, you know, I would never want to minimize the real dangers that are out there and the traumas that so many people have, have been through, you know, there's a balance in terms of trying to help someone through that kind of, those kinds of things to help them understand um, where the danger legitimately is, really is, and where it's not, and how to more often enjoy those places where there is no danger. Mm. I think a helpful way to talk about that is when you really look at what that uh, is going on there is often we are looking into the future mm-hmm. when we're when we're feeling a lot of anxieties. It's often about the future of what may or may not happen, but we're also looking through a lens of you know, it's that negative bias almost that you talk about. So we're looking through a lens of our own stories and they might be unconscious. So a a, a sort of one example of that years ago where I grew up, there was a lovely uh, woman around the corner who was in her 90s and it was a neighbourhood on the edge of a city, but it was relatively affluent and relatively safe kind of neighborhood and this lady she was lovely but she was very worried about being burgled and I remember as a child I didn't know her very well I used to was to visit her with my mum occasionally and she was so chatty and and relaxed and friendly except for this one thing and you're not going to be surprised to hear that uh, in time, she her house was burgled. And I remember as a child being puzzled by this because there wasn't a big crime rate in that area for house break-ins. And there was something to me in that there felt like there was a connection and I can't explain it. It's not on a kind of rational level. But I think in the in the way I'm explaining this, if you... If you look out, if you walk down your street and you see everybody as a a potential mugger, then your whole sort of demeanor changes 
you're defended and you're and you're waiting for something to happen. And I don't know how exactly, but at the very least, it won't invite a sort of friendly hellos because you'll you'll be giving out signals saying, keep away from me, keep away from me. And I wonder how much deeper that goes at a at a level not, you know, at a sort of a level that we feel in other people rather than consciously logically work out. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I do have some thoughts. I, I I get on one hand where you're coming from, and I'll tell you that first. And then on another hand, I don't get it. And then I'll talk about that second. In the first case, I have a client who um, who was very anxious about going home to visit her mother. I may have even mentioned this on another episode. And she was very nervous and even angry about going to see her mother for the holidays because she had gained weight. My client had gained weight and she just knew her mother was going to rake her over the coals for it. And she was angry at her mother about that and and disappointed and sad and all those things. And uh, so we talked about this kind of in in the ways that that you and I talk about things here. Um, One of the things I said to her was, number one, you don't know how she's going to respond. She said, well, she's always responded this way. I said, "Okay, she always has. You've got a history of that, but that doesn't guarantee that she will this time. It's likely, I would say, probably likely, but not necessarily. And secondly, you're living it in your imagination, um, you know, a hundred thousand times before you go and you're making yourself miserable a thousand times rather than the one time if it does happen. So can you kind of uh, live at once, which is a mantra I tell myself, by the way, when I'm spinning out on a stressful future, um, I remind myself, Carla, you know, live it, live at once. If the worst case scenario happens, happens, live at once rather than a thousand times in my imagination. And so she really, really got that. <clears throat> and uh, the other thing I said to her was, you know, so when you're living this stressful story again and again and again in your imagination, how do you think when you get to your mom's house, you're going to show up? She says, well, I'm going to be defended. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be closed. I'm going to be waiting for the attack. I said, right. And and do you think your mother will sense and feel that? She said, yes, I do. I said, okay, so can you drop it and go with the most open heart possible to meet your mother? And so she said, yes, I can. And she did. And she went open, warm. She had dropped all the anger and she opened the door and her mom saw her. They hadn't seen each other in quite some time. And her mom opened the door and just kind of fell into her arms, just so delighted to see her. And her mother said how wonderful she looked, never mentioned her weight. And all of that happened. Um, Now, it could have been different. Her mother could have been uh, rejecting or judging or, or, or whatever. But because my client didn't live it again and again and again and again in her imagination, she was just more fully there, more fully grounded, um, had more uh, resourcefulness and resilience available to her because she hadn't depleted it through all of that time. And um, she would have gotten through it. You know, I'm not saying it would have been easy, but she would have gotten through it. So I love that. On the other hand, 
to hear you say that she were your your neighbor worried about being burgled all these years and then she was burgled as if she made that happen disturbs me to be honest with me with you mm. and i think about the people who have been attacked or you know who are walking around all defended because they've been raped they've been um, pulled over by the police more times than they can count because of the color of their skin and so they're defended because they because they they see what is happening to them again and again and again to to suggest that possibly they made that happen now, I, I don't believe that's what you're saying, Juliet, but I'm checking it out. But that was my visceral response when you said that, that she had worried about being burgled, worried about being burgled, worried, and then she was burgled, as if because she worried about it, she created that. So I, I would love to hear more about, because I think there's a danger in, in that, that making the victim the problem. If only they had been stronger, if only they had been more open, if only, you know, it's mm -hmm. sort of like um, what the messages women get. If only you hadn't worn that short skirt, you wouldn't have been raped, you know, rather mm -hmm. than going to the man and saying, stop raping women, regardless of what they have, have on, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, inappropriate laughter after that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, this is what's so great about this, our relationship, is we have so much respect and love for each other. And what, what we've decided to do on this show is, is riff on realness, and that is to, to get really real. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm glad you raised that. So uh, I think what, as a child, I was just, I was curious about it. And I, and I take your point, and as you suspected, I, I don't sort of... Uh, yeah, that whole idea of, you know, you make stuff happen to you and you should, you know, if you only got it, if you understood that better, then bad stuff wouldn't happen to you. It's like taking a sledgehammer to a, to a nuanced and, you know, subtle and multi-layered um, ideas about our experience. So I'm glad you raised it because, no, I, um, she was a sweet old lady. <laughs> Absolutely <Yeah. laughs> didn't feel like she it was her fault or she deserved it so yeah great for bringing that up uh but I think what do I I think what the way you were talking about it, it's a, a place I'd like to explore deeper because that when you I love how you how you talked about it imagining something a thousand times not only do you suffer that experience a thousand times but you don't need to have the experience until it actually happens, which is what you were pointing at. But I want to emphasize that piece because the you may not be able to stop those imaginings, but recognizing that that's what they are, you can be angry and upset with your mother when she's 2,000 miles away or has passed away. We, we know this. And recognizing that that's what's happening. Your mother is not giving you that experience in that moment. Mm -hmm. She can't. She's not present. Mm -hmm. It is your thinking about your mother or one's mother that is generating all that visceral response. And that's so helpful to, to see that. And it may sound very obvious, but there can be lots of places where we don't realize we're so in it, we're so in the, the reaction that when someone taps you on the shoulder and says, look, 
which is happening to you right now. A better place to see this is, say, people who are terrified of flying. If you get them to think about flying in an aeroplane while they're sitting in their house, they can go into all the stress reactions as if they were in the plane. Mm -hmm. And to me, that says, wow, look at the power of the mind. Yes. And it begins to open up that inquiry. Well, is it the plane that's creating this fear? Because I'm not in a plane and I feel sick right now. And, and that's a fabulous place to wonder and inquire. And what the way you work with your client, I love that because in seeing that she didn't have to re keep rerunning, imagining the uh, encounter, some, it sounded to me like some space opened up and your really helpful suggestion to can you go in with an open heart? And when you said, you know, can you drop that? What I heard is, can you drop the thinking that, that's creating the, the imaginary meeting? Because mm -hmm. also that's not serving you. It's not giving you any solutions. It's not giving you anything new. <laughs> and so it's really interesting to wonder when going back to our topic which um how good how good can we stand it or um is that when we start to notice that we may be habitually just holding a level of surveillance or um uh worry just and it can be quite low level or high level you start to when you start to see that then the next thing that comes in is or do i have to do I have to hold these thoughts in place? And we, I think we do that simply by giving them attention. Yes. And when that question comes in, well, do I have to pay attention to this? That can open up even more space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Um, for people who do have a lot of trauma in their lives, and, and I have some trauma in my life, uh, um, you know, when that part of me gets triggered, that primitive part of my brain that tells me I'm in danger, when I know I'm not, rationally I know I'm not, that primitive part of our brain is so incredibly powerful, though, that <laughs> the rational mind pretty much can't get through to it. It goes offline. It goes off. It does. It does go offline. And all of a sudden you're there in, in that danger, that, that, that dangerous story, imagination or uh, sensations in your body that are, you know, lodged there from old, old trauma that gets triggered now and then. Um, it does help me when I'm triggered, when I'm trauma triggered, let's call it, to to catch on to what's going on. You know, I've learned when my trauma response is triggered. I know what it feels like. I know what happens. I know my eyes fog over. I know I become very detached. Um, I know, you know, all kinds of ways that I know I'm in the trauma response. And it, once I recognize it, that gives me just a little bit of space between me and that response. And at that point, I can bring my rational mind online and I can say to myself, Carla, you're safe. 
you're safe right now. There's really literally no danger right now. And literally, there's no danger right now. And you can relax a little bit. You can open a little bit. You can experience the the beauty of the ancient live oaks. You know, because some oftentimes if I'm feeling that trauma response, that is where I go is under my trees <laughs> or to my dog or to something in nature that that brings me sort of back into my body or into myself and, and able to experience more of the good, the true and the beautiful, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I love the recognition was the was the big piece in there for me, because uh I think it, it looks like we can we can travel a journey where a trauma response, the content, the story that goes with it can be all in, encompassing and overwhelming and we're just in it and we've got no, there's no space. You know, then we may catch on to, as you say, that the that these are not happening now. These this response is coming from stories from things that happened before. And sometimes we will, you know, we will go and we'll be drawn to look at those stories, maybe with professional help, maybe on our own. And that can be helpful, but sometimes we can get stuck in those stories, depending. And then I think what where what you're talking about is then in the in the moment of it happening, having that recognition. And and I would phrase it as this is a bunch of thought patterns that I've had a lot many 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 times and as the intent and it's interesting which comes first I think as the recognition grows the intensity or frequency can can recede a little bit it's like we've we've you talk about we've almost detached from the story I don't mean detached from the physical experience I mean we recognize that this isn't about what's happening right here and now. You know, my response is, is I'm kind of responding to something old or unconscious. And as the recognition comes, and I loved you, you say you go and walk in the live oaks, because, you know, maybe I think in, for me, I've often tried to use my rational mind to argue with a very uh, uh, fearful or deep sort of response that, that again is from old stuff and then I'm in kind of battle between mm -hmm. the way I'm feeling and my rational mind basically saying shouldn't be feeling like this come on you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's not always been helpful so the the for me you going in the live oaks it's it's back to your lovely phrase about sitting on the bank of yourself there's there's a deeper place which uh, is not mystical, but is what is what is there when we settle down, is what is there when we kind of open. And we do it all the time, even though we might not notice it. So having awareness, recognising that opening, like in the stories of your client, the fact that her heart opened and recognising, well, where does that come from? Because when we do it unconsciously, we don't tend to... Um, think much of it or even appreciate it whereas when we start to get eyes for oh I can be really agitated and upset or angry and then there can be this settling and opening oh where does that come from I think as we get more interested in that 
all these things increase the our recognition of when we're caught in thought the space opening up happens more the appreciation of that space happens more and I mean this has been my experience so it's not been a sudden kind of overnight all all those responses have disappeared but they've been calming down over the last few years and and it's like I feel like it's constantly about catching so to the title of our episode I'll stop it a minute but the the low level unease looking for problems that I hadn't even realized was still there I'm catching it more and more and it's like well do I have to be doing that right now do I is there is nothing wrong right here right now and it's giving me more chance to drop that like you were saying to the client can you drop it and I would have said in the past no I can't (laughs) no I can't drop it I'm completely at the effect of it you know Mm -hmm. So I think some people are quicker learners than me, Carla, and they <laughs> they found their way to the answer, yes, can I drop it? Yes, a lot earlier than me, <laughs> but I, it's not a competition, so I'm quite happy. <laughs> well, I, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner too, and I have decided that's a superpower. <laughs> because... Because I I learn it so well, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly. I learn it so, so well eventually that it serves me really well. So I I am at peace with my slow learning and my slow blossoming, if you will. (laughs) At this point, I am. I haven't always been. But, um, yeah, and, and, you know, with trauma-based responses, there's often, often there's no thought at all involved. And there's no story to drop. They're just a whole bunch of sensations and feelings that arise that there's, you know, I mean, I know for me that when I, when my trauma response is triggered, um, I don't see, I don't see the story. I don't find a story, but I know what's going on. So at that point, um, as you said, you know, I am um, more and more often able to sit on the bank of myself until things settle down and not be too, um, not to be too disturbed by it. You know, everything's okay. I'm okay. My system, my psychological system has just gotten triggered. And um, as it does, it will, it, it seeks out equilibrium. It will come back to equilibrium in time if I don't tinker too much with it and don't worry too much about it. Uh, and again, I, I would never want to minimize or invalidate people who have been through severe trauma and, and, and what that's like for them as they're trying to deal with it. It makes me wonder about your, your neighbor, you know, why she was so frightened of being burgled. And if, which is not, we don't say burgled over here, but I like it. So I'm going to say it. (laughs) I like it. I'm going to claim it now. But, um, you know, was there some trauma in her life that, you know, she hadn't worked through. I, I mean, I don't know. And there, it, we don't have to analyze it, but it does. It just is very curious. And, you know, one of the things that you said was that it's just so nuanced. It's all so very, very nuanced. We are so nuanced. There's not this black or white. Like like when I said to you, Juliet, I can't believe you said, I didn't say this, but, the, you know, that you said that she thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And then she was burgled because she thought about it. Now, that's those were not your words. That's just sort of how it hit me. But it's like, 
I'm not even going to say that there couldn't be any whatsoever truth to that. I don't know. What I do know is it's not black and white and it's, and it's incredibly nuanced and complex and, um, and that, you know, those of us who have been through trauma could experience a lot more freedom if we could, if we could open a bit more in safe ways, mm-hmm. not just to anybody and anyone, everywhere. I'm not suggesting that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's just occurring to me. It's a beautiful logic, actually. I'm just seeing this, so bear with me and try and try and make sense of it. But when you've you've had those experiences, so you get these um, trauma responses, which, and I love that you said they don't come with any forethought. You know, you can just be in it. And I've experienced that. And if anyone had said to me, just count to 10, it's like, well, there's no time to count to 10. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, when? When am I going to count to 10? Um, but I realised that I was seeing something about when you start, if, if you try to explore when you're, when someone is taking you back into that kind of state, you are necessarily constricted, defended, all the things we've talked about. So it can be very difficult to see anything new in that, in that experience if you're reliving it. And I, I picked up from what you were saying that, uh, and we're both saying, uh, really, we're not saying, you know, there's some magic wand you can wave and then you won't experience these things. And that, in a way, is part of the problem because many people who seek help, they desperately want rid of whatever, it, however it comes, you know, flashbacks or uh, fight, flight, freeze, faint. We've got all those res- responses. And when they're very severe, they're very intense. They are debilitated. They do get in the way of, you know, everyday life. So it's completely understandable that people seek help because they want rid of them. But what is beautiful in the work that we do is you were saying, well, these I recognize these psychological triggers and I have these responses. And it's kind of and full stop, or as you would say in the States, period. (laughs) (laughs) When what can happen when we're in those responses is we're not only having all the, the horrible kind of feelings they're inside but because they're horrible our mind starts racing forward into the future and making stories about what this means that I'm feeling like this yes I'm broken I'm I'm Mm going to be affected all my life Uh, that person did this to me or I did that to this person or I'm never going to recover from this loss you know all these other things come tumbling in on top And you can see the logic of what that does to a system that is already in in fight, flight, freeze, whatever mode. Yeah. It just intensifies the experience. So what's so gorgeous about the logic of this is that when you get curious about that... um, I guess that, you know, those deeper resources of resilience we talk about and and creativity and love, that is a much better place to go and look, not when you're in the middle of a trauma response, but 
other other times Mm -hmm. to get curious about that because the more you touch that space and and become aware of it as we often say it's always there in us it gets covered up then when these other things when you hit these experiences all the things we talk about like not hold attaching onto the stories um not judging your experience become more available to you because you've got a sense of something else and more understanding of what's actually happening in the moment. So I, I, I lo- and I, I just really saw that logic of mm-hmm. trying to think your way out of a mind body um, emergency response. It's not going to be helpful because you're not in a very resourced state. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I like so much of what you just said, Juliet. And, and um, you know, yes, I, it, the, the, the words that come to me is it's like the difference in pain and suffering. It's like if I, if I have a trauma response, that's like a pain. It's like a, a pain that happens, like, like maybe a cut if I physically cut myself or I run my foot into the door jam, you know, and I, that's a pain, but the suffering for me comes in. If, if I do have a trauma response, um, which I do from time to time, if I do have a trauma response, um, that's a pain. It's not pleasant. It's not fun, but it's really not a problem. I'm really safe and okay. The suffering comes in when I start to do things like judge myself. Oh my God, are you still having a trauma response after 60 years? Oh my God, didn't you do 15,000 years of therapy and shouldn't you be over this now? And Mm -hmm. oh my God, maybe you really are unsafe. You know, maybe they really do want to destroy you. Maybe, you know, now, now as I start to um, analyze it to death, and judge it to death and make all kinds of meaning out of it. Now I'm really suffering. And I think that um, that's part of what, what you were saying. But when I can sit back and go, oh my gosh, I'm having a trauma response right now. Okay. All right. I know what this is. I know what it's like. I've, I've lived through it every single time for 60 years. I know that if I sort of just leave it alone, that it will it will resolve itself. It will uh, my system will come back to equilibrium. Um, I can help it along just like I help a cut along. I go when I have a cut, I clean it, I cover it, and I leave it alone to heal. So if I have a psychological wound, you know, I step outside to my trees, or I sit for a while with Pedro, or um, you know, I get with a really good friend and just just take in some nurture and love. You know, these are ways to support this brilliant psychological system to return to equilibrium so that we can have so much more joy in our lives and not have to dwell in uh, the place of the wound, which just, you know, when we're constantly digging into a wound, we keep it open. It can't heal. It's the same with our psychological system. So, Juliet, we are at our end of our time. Will you bring it home for us? I love putting you in the spot like that, Juliet. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think I'd just end by saying there's the beautiful sort of paradox to explore is if you do what Carla just said, if you recognize and and don't judge the experience when you can. When you can. When you can. Then ironically, those incidences tend to start to diminish, maybe very gradually, maybe all at once. Mm 
And that's the great hope in that. And that's why we all the time are pointing towards something deeper, because that's where we find the resources, I guess, because I do believe that we are made to handle life. Yeah. Yeah, me too, Juliet. Well, thank you so much. That was a fun, fun conversation. Thank you, Juliet. Oh, thank you. And you're welcome. You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Juliet Fay. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. Juliet loves freedom of mind, which she explores and shares through poetry and conversations. Find her at soulcare.org. That's soulcare, S-O-L-C-A-R-E.org. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness. Mm-hmm.